0: Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Erica's Book Nook. Tonight, we are reading Chapter 5 of the book called Ivy by the author of Her Benny Alec Green with original illustrations by S.K. Hawking. As we all remember, unfortunately, poor Ivy's father passed away. And in chapter four, to recap, the captain went and let her know. Now, on with chapter five. Chapter five, in which Fred Stewart asserts his authority. Some murmur when the their sky is clear and wholly bright to view. If one small speck of dirt appear, In that great heaven of blue. And some with thankful love are filled if one but one streak of light, one ray of God's good mercy, glad the darkness in their night. Trench. I'm not sure who that is. I'll look that up and let everybody know next time. For the first few weeks after his father's death, Fred seemed to be considerably sobered. He was very careful, however, not to betray any emotion that would be, according to his notion, an evidence of weakness. And as he is in his seventeenth year and tall for his age, he was very anxious to be looked upon no longer as a boy but as a young man. Of late he had been wearing a tall hat on Sundays and sporting a cane, in addition to smoking cheap cigars and talking slang, and if any one had spoken of him as a boy, he would have felt insulted. Regarding himself, therefore, as a man, he considered that it would be ill accord with his dignity to betray emotion and the loss of his father. It might be proper for women and children to weep. He did not at all blame Ivy for giving way to tears, but for himself a young gentleman that wore a tall hat and smoked cigars, to be seen weeping was altogether out of the question. Nevertheless, there can be no doubt that Fred felt the loss of his father, and felt it keenly, that his best earthly friend was gone forever. He was quite aware, and he was aware also, that henceforth he would have to fight his own way in life, and that if he ever got to be a gentleman, it would have to be on his own excursions. While his father was... Alive, he never troubled about ways and means. If his father's income was small, he knew it was regular. And though there had never been any extravagance in the little cottage, on the other hand, what had never come nigh in? The great problem he had to solve now was how to live upon nothing. As a draper's apprentice, he was not earning a penny, and though Ivy was clever at making nets, he knew quite well that she could not earn enough to supply all their wants this consideration therefore was quite sufficient to sober fred for a while and ivy began to hope that the great loss might not be an unmixed evil and that the chastening of sorrow might do her brother good and lead him to better ways excuse me as tom mason had predicted ivy bore her sorrow like a saint for little ned's sake She repressed her tears and tried to be cheerful. It was hard work sometimes, and may a night, while brothers were asleep, sorry, many a night, (laughs) while her brothers were asleep, Ivy gave vent to her grief in bitter, scalding tears. But in the morning she seemed cheerful again, and no one knew how much she suffered, or how keenly she felt her loss, each afternoon when weather was fine. Ivy took Ned in her arms and carried him down to the sea. For the first few days after her loss, Ivy felt as if she would never love the sea again. But that feeling soon passed away, and in time she seemed to love it with more passionate love than before. Its dreaming moonstone soothed her aching heart, and though it made her weep sometimes, her tears did her good. With little Ned on her knees, she would sit for. Far out on the rocks and watch the shimmering sunlight on the sea stretching way into what seemed endless space. Listen to the low murmur of the waves circling softly among the rocks. I do want to apologize to everybody out there listening. Um, I read quicker in my head than I do out loud. And as this is my first time reading a podcast... And reading and sharing my antique books, I'm having an interesting time with it. So I do apologize if sometimes I do trip over my words. I think and read very quickly in my head and not so much out loud. It's also why my handwriting is terrible, because I think quicker than I can write. My apologies for the interruption and that. All right, back to the book sometimes she used to wonder if her father could hear the waves beating above his head forevermore then she would lift her eyes again to the sunset sky and think of him not as lying asleep in the sun hollow of the ocean bed but as living in a land far beyond the golden gates of the dying day where sin and sorrow pain and toil should trouble him no more forever and for a while she would forget her own heartache and loss as fancy Pictured the meeting between her father and mother in that far-off land, and she would be glad for a little while, in the thought that their bliss and rejoice became they were very happy, and would never part again. But Ned often, another apology, I have my fan on as it's quite warm. but Ned often unwittingly disturbed Ivy's dreams by some sudden and unexpected question. Sometimes when the primrose hove in sight he would clap his hands in glee shout Daddy and Captain Jack again and again till Ivy would whisper Don't lovely, Daddy is not in the primrose now and then the little fellow would look up in her face with wondering eyes, and after a pause would answer Oh, I forgot. Daddy's gone up into the sky to see Mammy, ain't he? Ivy? Then Ivy would press him to her bosom and whisper Yes, darling, Daddy's happy now. The day following that on which James Stewart was drowned, Captain Jack brought Ivy a month's wages that were due to her father, and this added to a few pounds she had saved in her capacity of housekeeper out of her weekly allowance, enabled them to tide over the first two months without difficulty. But at the end of that time, Ivy saw very clearly that unless something was done to supplement the little she could earn making and mending nets. They would have to starve or else apply to the parish for relief. And she told her brother so. Fred listened in dogged silence to what she had to say. He was not at all surprised. In fact, he had been expecting some such communication for several days past, but it was none less palatable because it was expected. Well, Fred, said Ivy at length, Seeing he did not speak, what are we to do? What's the use of asking me? he said, sullenly. But what? who shall I ask? she replied. I cannot keep on the house upon nothing, and you are the eldest, and now that we have no father, I have no one to look up to but you. And do you expect that I'm going to work to maintain the lot of you? he asked. I'm willing to do my part, fried she answered, meekly. "'And a fine part it is when it is done,' he sneered. "'If you will show me how I can do more, Fred, I will gladly do do it,' she answered. "'Oh, yes, I dare say. Just like you girls can do nothing unless you are shown,' he growled. "'Oh, Fred,' she said, the tears starting in her eyes, "'I do try to do my best, and though I can't get enough to keep us all, I do get a little.' She might have added it was more than he did, but she would not provoke him if— she could help it. Get a little, he said mockingly. Well, you have told the truth for once, as it, it is a little, no mistake. This, Ivy felt, was too bad. She could bear a great deal, and did bear this a great deal every day of her life. But this was going too far, so she spoke with spirit. Well, Fred, little or much, it is more than you get, for you get nothing. In a moment he turned upon her fiercely. Look here, he said, hissing. The words between his teeth "'Talk in that way again, and you'll wish you hadn't. "'Remember, I'm master in this house.' "'I don't want to anger you,' she said, "'but you know as well as I do we can't live on nothing.' "'Well, what is it that you want me to do?' he growled. "'Well,' said Ivy, speaking slowly, watching the effect of her words, "'Captain Jack said that as poor father was so long in his service "'and was in his service when he died, "'he is willing to take you in father's place.' "'And though you would be worth nothing at first, "'he will give you half what he gave father. "'And do you think I'll accept such an offer?' he said. "'And why not?' Ivy asked. "'Why not? Do you think I will ever stoop to become a common fisherman? "'Do you think I would be, be mean myself by wearing fussing and a blue jersey?' "'You might do worse,' she answered. "'And was father any worse because he wore a jersey?' For my part, I don't see any stooping in it, and surely it's better than starvation. I don't know whether it is or no, he said savagely, and then the subject dropped, and was not alluded to again for several days. In the meanwhile, Fred evidently thought a good deal about the matter, for one morning he said to Ivy, I wish I'd never been born, to think that I should have come down to be a fisherman after all. I was delighted with the change that evidently had come over him, and answered cheerfully, But you may get to be the owner of a boat in time, you know. Bah! I hate the sight of boats, he snarled. But there's no help for it, I suppose. And the subject dropped again. In a few days, however, Fred seemed to get pretty well-reconciled with what he called his horrid fate. He was very sulkily and cross. It's true, but then his temper... It was never very sweet at the best of times, and Ivy was quite disposed to make an allowance for all his disappointment. In fact, she sincerely pitied him, and so humoured him all she could possibly could. At length, the day was fixed when Fred should take his place on board the Primrose, and Ivy's heart beat high with hope and with thankfulness that their in life seemed opening up so plainly before them. She could not but hope, that Fred would get over his disappointment and settle down into a steady, industrious man. And she began to picture to herself a peaceful, if not happy, future. But while Ivy was busy building her castles in the air, Fred was busy, exclaiming the contents of his father's desk, sorry, examining the contents of his father's desk, which had never been opened since his death. There were good... "'Many old letters, which he put aside as rubbish, "'but at length he lighted on a small book, "'which he began to examine with some care. "'At length a joyful cry escaped his lips. "'Leaping to his feet, he kicked over the chair "'in which he had been sitting and rushed down the stairs "'as though a lion were on his heel. "'What is the matter?' said Ivy, looking up in astonishment. "'Plenty,' he exclaimed his eyes, speaking with excitement. "'So much the matter, in fact. "'There'll be none of your jerseys for me.' "'What do you mean, Fred?' said Ivy in bewilderment. Why, I mean this, said flourishing the little book that he had found. I find from this book that father has a hundred and fifty in the bank. And as he has made no will, and I am the eldest, I shall take charge of the lot. Think of that, I am now man of property, I am the owner of a hundred and fifty dollars, so I shall use it as, as I think fit. Hurrah! Let he... "'who will be a fisherman, but Fred Stewart is above it.' "'Ivy knew nothing about law, so she saw all her hopes vanish in a moment. "'Instead of rejoicing in what most people call their good fortune, "'she could almost have wished that the money was laying at the bottom of the sea. "'She knew enough of her brother's character to dread the effort of the sudden turn in his fortune, "'and at night she prayed as she had never prayed before, "'that the money her father had struggled so hard to save might not prove her brother's curse.' In less than twenty-four hours, Ivy saw a change in Fred's demeanour. He was more arrogant and dictatorial than he had ever been before. Little Ned cowered before him as he would before an ogre, and Ivy was ordered to do this and that in the most offensive manner. Once, when she ventured to demur something he had commanded, he brought his fist down on the table with a bang and glaring at her as though she had been a slave, he said, Look here, Miss Ivy, let me tell you once and for all, I am the master of this establishment, and you will have to do as I tell you, or leave, and take the brad along with you. Don't imagine that I'm going to maintain you and take your sauce, so if you don't choose to obey orders and keep a civil tongue in your head, you'll have to find home elsewhere. Understand, I can do quite well without you, so I give you fair warning, saying, Which he. Thrust his hands into his pockets and strutted out of the house. Poor Ivy! What life! Was life always to be a burden for her, and care her constant companion? Was she never to know the joys of childhood or realize the fulfillment of a single hope? It almost seemed so. Yet, for her little brother's sake, she bore her burden patiently, bravely struggled on, hoping sometimes against hope and praying she might have strength given to bear whatever the future might bring till God should see fit to end the conflict and take her and little Ned to join their parents in the home where heartaches are never known and where contentment reigns forever and ever. That is the end of chapter five, and what a very interesting end it is, seeing that her elder brother found money in her father's desk and is fashioning himself to be more so of what he supposes is a gentleman. During this era that this book was written, it being in the 1800s, this is what they would have known at the time, would have been the seaside village, fishing, um, people classifying themselves as a gentleman, which would have been a man of wealth or someone coming of wealth uh, during the, this time period, as it is, the Victorian era. And as we know lots about Victorian England, and as this book is, I believe, in the UK. But don't quote me on that. I have to do a little bit more research again, because I had it written down somewhere. And, wow. Okay, I lied. I had it on my tablet, and I think I probably exited out of that web page, but I will track down that information again for everybody. What I'm learning with this book, though, is I'm finding that, you know, this girl, she's struggling, and yet she shouldn't have to bear the struggles of someone so young but at that time period as well, um, younger people often bore struggles way more difficult than what we currently do in our day and age now. Um, I myself have gone through quite a bit of different struggles in life, and I understand that everybody does every day. Unfortunately, it's part of being human, whether our struggles are Not that difficult to extremely difficult. Your struggle could simply be, you know, you hate making your bed in the morning. Or your struggle could be that you don't even have a bed. But this book is definitely a good teacher for a time period and reminding everybody that, yes, we all have struggles, but definitely act with care and compassion toward each other as humans, at least that's my view, but I think I'll give a full opinion once we've completed the book, and I am actually hoping and with great excitement to let everyone know that my YouTube channel, which will also be known as Erica's Book Note, should be up and running within a matter of days here. I am still finishing prep for the area, because the area in my home which I've chosen, I'm actually working to make it look more Edwardian, or at least within some sort of resemblance to it. Especially considering most of my books are from the late Victorian to toward the end of the Edwardian era. and. Some of them even go later than that. I do want to thank everyone for listening this evening and hope everything is going fantastic. And if it's not, well, then I wish you all the best in whatever struggles you may be going through and hoping that there's always going to be, you know, love and peace in everybody's lives, and that just keep your head up But thank you again for listening to Erica's Book Nook, and I will catch you guys all soon in the next episode when we read Chapter 6 of the book called Ivy. Thank you so much, everyone, and have a wonderful evening.